the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Monday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing Dave King Engineering today's program. Coming up in the five o'clock hour, a conversation with an old friend, Bob Haskins of Haskins Realty Group. He'll be joining us to talk about what's going on out there. If you're trying to buy or sell a house, he's got some great insight. We'll also share a classic interview with Angel Murchison, author of Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. We'll talk about the Chinese Mayflower Church that resettled in the U.S. after a three-year quest for asylum They're right here and they're worshiping freely. All of that and more. I want to remind you that Mother's Day is coming up. It's not that far off. And we want to invite you to take place in our or take part rather in our annual Mother's Day $2,000 giveaway. You can find out all the important details at kpdq.com. Enter once every day and complete bonus activities to increase your chance of winning. Make this year's Mother's Day extra special. Enter the 2K giveaway for mom at kpdq.com. Well, looking at some of the day's headlines, legislatures, uh, legislators rather, have one week to finish up their uh, their business in Olympia, and their to-do list is quite lengthy. Public safety bills and those dealing with social issues are still on the table, but the only requirement for legislators is to pass a two-year budget, and on Friday, the House took a step toward putting a tax increase into that new budget. Well, the House Finance Committee, and again, we're talking about the Washington legislature, passed a bill to raise the state's real estate excise tax, the tax that's charged to homeowners when they sell their homes. Supporters say the increase would raise $200 million a year for the state to go toward building more affordable housing. Says um, Representative April Berg, a Democrat out of Mill Creek, we understand that revenue is functionally taxes, uh, takes on people. Uh, it's taxes on businesses. We take it very seriously. And at this moment, we have very serious crisis with housing. And I believe this is a tool we can use uh, as a state to address it, end quote. Well, those in opposition argued the tax will impact the affordable housing crisis negatively. People that are moving because they're trying to get a job and they're trying to move up now, a higher cost to sell their home means they've got less money to put down on the next one. And this does affect the affordable housing. It's not clear if that tax increase will be part of the final budget proposal, but if uh, the governor... Um, If it is, the governor said that he is likely to support it. Along with the budget, lawmakers have two public safety bills that need to be finalized, police pursuits and drug possession laws. For a lot of people, these two issues are more important than anything else uh, lawmakers deal with this year. Since 2001, when the state put the toughest limits on the uh, in the country on when police can pursue someone, police have been pleading with lawmakers to allow for their uh, for more pursuits. 
Um, There was a bill early in the session to roll back those restrictions, but a version some critics say is too watered down appears likely to pass. It would allow for more chases, but still not crimes like car theft or burglaries. Pursuits are inherently dangerous if we're going to be allowing vehicular pursuits for property crimes where no one is physically injured. There's going to be a result in some mayhem and death. So says Representative Roger Goodman out of Kirkland. Along drug possession, there was talk of making drug possession a felony again, even uh, complete legalization um, this issue. But those have been narrowed um, down to two options. The Senate passed a bill making drug possession a gross misdemeanor, but the House adopted for a more lenient um, uh, misdemeanor with an emphasis on treatment in both issues. But police argue the threat of jail time needs to be in months, not days, as the House version proposes. Lawmakers made a lot of folks uh, happy by scrapping the study that looked at a potential new airport, but not everyone at the Capitol is happy about that. Back in 2019, uh, Senator Karen Kaiser got a bill passed that uh, came up with a community to identify a potential sites for the new major airport. She said SeaTac is dangerously close to reaching capacity. That committee came up with three possible locations, two in rural Pierce County, another in Thurston. But again, that's one of the issues that they would have to resolve in the next week. Now, legislators in, uh, again, the state of Washington are backing a bill to scrap that study and start all over with more public input and perhaps looking at expanding existing smaller airports. Finally, in something that um, had more agreement, it looks like the state will be uh, getting an official state dinosaur. I'm glad they uh, were able to fit that in. Uh, Four years after a fourth grade class came up with a proposal, it finally passed off the uh, floor of the House and the Senate and the state of Washington will have a state dinosaur. We'll let you know what that is if they pass it. Or the governor signs it. Chicago mayor-elect Brandon Johnson warned against vilifying youth while condemning a chaotic teen takeover of the loop overnight, over the weekend, I should say, which saw hundreds of young people descend on the downtown area for two nights in a row. Two teenage males, ages 16 and 17, were shot while standing in a crowd during the mayhem on Saturday night. As hundreds of young people smashed cars, blocked traffic, fought in the streets, both victims were transported to a hospital and are listed in fair condition. It's not constructive to demonize youth who are otherwise starved of opportunities in their own communities. That's what the mayor-elect says, the progressive who defeated moderate uh, Democrat Paul Vallis earlier this month in a statement on Saturday. Our city must work together to create spaces for youth to gather safely and responsibly under adult guidance and supervision to ensure that every part of our city remains welcome to uh, both residents and visitors. Chicago police arrested nine adults, six juveniles in connection with the takeover, which was advertised on social media. Budweiser has released a new patriotic advertisement as its parent company struggles with the controversy over its endorsement partnership with the transgender influencer Dylan Mulvaney. The advertisement, which was released on social media Friday, features one of Budweiser's famous Clydesdale horses traversing the country from New York to the Grand Canyon, passing by scenes in America's heartland as a narrator delivers a patriotic message. This is a story bigger than beer, the narrator says. Uh, In the ad, this is the story of the American spirit. Okay, canned beer, the story of the American spirit. Well, as the ad plays, the Clydesdale horse passes by some of the most famous American landmarks while showcasing small towns and farmland. At one point, the ad showcases two people raising the American flag as one places their hand over her heart. The patriotic ad comes as Anheuser-Busch, which owns Budweiser, 
continues to deal with backlash over a partnership between another one of its popular brands, Bud Light and Mulvaney. Twitter CEO Elon Musk raised concerns of bias in artificial intelligence, or AI, saying leftist programmers can use it to lie and comment on some things but not others. Of course, that can go both ways. What's happening is there's, uh, they're training the AI to, to lie. It's bad, he said in a preview of his interview with Tucker Carlson tonight. AI is more dangerous than, say, mismanaged aircraft design or production maintenance or bad car production, he explained. In the sense that it has the potential, however, small uh, to, um, let's see, one one may regard that probability, but it is non-trivial. It has the potential of civilization destruction. There's the rest of that quote. Uh, we'll continue to take a look at the news. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up at 5 o'clock, a conversation with Bob Haskins. He's the founder of Haskins Realty Group. And if you have questions about real estate, he's the guy. Anyway, that's coming up at 5. We'll also share a conversation with Angel Murchison, author of Secret Shame. We'll talk about the Chinese Mayflower Church, whose members, 63 of them, have resettled here in the United States after three years, a quest for asylum and freedom to worship. Well, a super PAC supporting Florida Governor Ron DeSantis released its first ever television ad attacking former President Donald Trump on Sunday, purchased uh, a rather pushing back on Trump's own aggression toward DeSantis. Well, uh, Never Back Down PAC titled the ad Fight Democrats, Not Republicans, and went after Trump for his recent attacks on the popular Florida governor who has not announced a run. Trump has recently dubbed DeSantis Ron DeSanctimonious and has pushed the claim that he wants to dismantle Social Security. Donald Trump is being attacked by a Democrat prosecutor in New York. So why is he spending millions attacking Republican governors of Florida or the Republican governor of Florida? The ad begins. Trump is stealing pages from the Biden Pelosi playbook, repeating lies about Social Security, end quote. Well, the ad goes on to play a soundbite from DeSantis saying he and other Republicans have no plans to mess with Social Security. It then also plays a clip of Donald Trump himself saying entitlements and Social Security would at some point be on the table for changes. Trump should fight Democrats, not lie about Governor DeSantis, the ad goes on to say. What happened to Donald Trump? It concludes. Well, Trump's camp responded sharply and quickly. DeSantis is colluding with his globalist handlers to go full never Trump in order to gaslight the people into thinking that Medicare and Social Security should be ripped away from hardworking Americans. President Trump has made it clear that he will always stand on the side of of Americans and protect benefits seniors worked for and paid for their entire lives. The spokesperson, Stephen Chung, said of the uh, uh, the ad, while DeSantis is yet to announce a presidential run for 2024, he's widely considered a strong potential challenger to the former president for the Republican nomination. Several female Democratic senators were put on the spot Sunday on whether Senator Dianne Feinstein should resign from the Senate amid her ongoing health issues with Senator Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota saying time is running out for the 89-year-old to return. Klobuchar said on ABC's This Week that Feinstein, who hasn't voted since February 16th, sure better return to the Senate in time for the vote to raise the debt ceiling this summer. In this case, we are going to need her to vote on the Senate floor eventually, she said. We have things like the debt ceiling coming up, but I think what uh, we need to do is take her at her word. She's recovering from shingles and make sure she comes back. If this uh, goes on month after month after month, then she's going to have to make a decision with her family and her friends about what her future holds. 
because this isn't just about California. It's also about the nation, she concluded. Well, Feinstein, who has served in the Senate for 30 years, was hospitalized for shingles last month and has faced other health issues, including concerning reports related to her mental fitness. She's previously faced calls to resign prior to announcing her intention not to run for reelection earlier this year. Cornell University will announce plans to feature free expression and academic freedom as its theme for the 2023-24 academic year on Monday, dealing another blow to censorship on college campuses. It really is quite a shame that they have to make that a theme and an announcement when one would assume on a university campus that's precisely what you would expect. Well, the preliminary announcement came on Friday, months after students heckled conservative speaker Ann Coulter, a Cornell alumnus, at the November 2022 event by blasting music, blowing whistles and more. The university newspaper, the Cornell Review, reported at the time. Cornell President Martha Pollack is expected to announce the theme, encouraging students to engage with these ideas and in civil discourse about them through a wide range of scholarly and Uh, Creative events and activities from lectures to community book reads to artistic exhibition and performances, according to Friday's announcement. Melissa McCarthy said drag queens were 100 percent an influence behind her portrayal of the tentacled sea witch Ursula in the upcoming live action The Little Mermaid flick set to hit theaters on Memorial Day weekend. McCarthy recently joined co-stars Halle Berry and director Rob Marshall to discuss the upcoming film with Entertainment Weekly, where she gave a brief spiel about her history with drag performances and how her drag queen persona spilled over into the portrayal of the infamous villainess. There's a drag queen that lives in me, she says. I'm always right on the verge of going full time with her. She told the outlet in an interview published earlier this month, she gushed over the character as everything I want in a drag queen, pointing to Ursula's sadness and edginess that work in harmony with humor to create a flamboyant, white-haired, purple-skinned sea witch whose exaggerated makeup has been a long-standing trademark since she hit the big screen in animated form over 30 years ago. McCarthy reportedly got her start in drag, performing in Manhattan clubs as a drag queen which I'm not sure how that works since she is female. Well, former Education Secretary Betsy DeVos said if the Biden administration's new Title IX proposals were in effect when she was a swimmer, she'd have little motivation to get into the pool. Under the Education Department's recent proposed rules, no school or college that receives federal funding would be allowed to impose a one-size-fits-all policy that categorically bans trans students from playing on sports teams, aligning with their gender identity, and would be considered a violation of Title IX established in 1972. Title IX prohibits sex-based discrimination in schools, but what's being argued is that it is sex-based discrimination when males are permitted to compete as females against biological females. More than 300 poisoning incidents have occurred at schools around Iran, which critics argue could not happen without Tehran's acknowledgement or approval. These attacks are most probably designed to punish and scare the Iranian people for the widespread protests rather that erupted in September of 22 after the murder of uh, Masa Amini, a senior uh, Iran and uh, financial economics advisor at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. The FDD, a Washington, D.C.-based nonprofit think tank, tracked attacks across Iran and counted 328 chemical attacks as of the 14th of this month, sourcing information from local reports and videos posted on Twitter. Most reports include the number of victims ranging from a dozen to almost 100 in some cases.
The FBI and federal prosecutors announced on Monday the arrest of two New York residents who allegedly ran an undisclosed Chinese government police station in Manhattan's Chinatown neighborhood. Liu Jianwang and Chen Jinping have each been charged with conspiring to act as agents of China's government, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Eastern District of New York. Brian Peace, the U.S. attorney for that office, said China's Ministry of Public Security has repeatedly and flagrantly violated our nation's sovereignty, including by opening and operating a police station in the middle of New York City. Two miles from our office, just across the Brooklyn Bridge, this nondescript office building in the heart of the bustling Chinatown in lower Manhattan has a dark secret. Until several months ago, an entire floor of this building hosted an undeclared police station of the Chinese National Police. Um, Peace said, now just imagine the NYPD opening an undeclared secret police station in Beijing. It would be unthinkable. Here's what we know happening inside the secret police station in lower Manhattan. At the very least, the station was provided some government services like helping Chinese citizens renew their Chinese driver's licenses, Pete continued. But to um, to do even that, the law requires that individuals like the defendants who act as agents of a foreign government give prior notice to the attorney general before setting up shop in New York City. That didn't happen. More troubling, though, is the fact that the secret police station appears to have had a more sinister use on at least one occasion. An official with the Chinese National Police directed one of the defendants, a U.S. citizen who worked at the secret police station, to help locate a pro-democracy activist of uh, China, of Chinese descent, living in California. In other words, the Chinese National Police appeared to have been using the station to track a U.S. residence on U.S. soil. The two defendants whose arrests were announced today uh, destroyed evidence of their communications with the Chinese National Police when they learned of the FBI's investigation. These two defendants knew that they had something to hide, and they obstructed justice in an attempt to prevent the FBI learning from learning the full extent of what they were up to, end quote. Well, Peace said that his office and the FBI New York field office are the first law enforcement partners in the world to make arrest in connection with the Chinese government's overseas police stations. Both defendants in the case were arrested at their homes in New York City this morning. Michael Driscoll, who's the assistant director in charge of the FBI's New York field office, said not only was the police station set up uh, on the orders of MPS officials, but by members of the Chinese consulate in New York even paid a visit uh, to it after it opened. So this was an open secret with the Chinese government. Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkovich, who has been detained in Russia since last month, told his parents he's not losing hope in a handwritten letter that indicated he hasn't lost his sense of humor. I want to say that I'm not losing hope, Gershkovich um, wrote in a letter dated April 5th that was published in the Wall Street Journal and showed off self-deprecating humor and teasing about his mother's cooking. I read, I exercise, and I'm trying to write. Maybe, finally, I'm going to write something good, he wrote. Mom, you're unfortunately, uh, for better or worse, prepared me well for jail food. In the morning for breakfast, they gave us hot cream uh, cream of wheat, oatmeal cereal, or wheat gruel. I am remembering my childhood. His family received the letter on Friday, according to the Wall Street Journal. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up at the 5 o'clock hour, a conversation with Bob Haskins. He's the founder of Haskins Realty Group. We'll also share a conversation with Angie, uh, Angel Murchison, author of Secret Shame. And we'll talk about the Chinese Mayflower Church 
who came in mass to the United States. It was a three year quest fraught with all sorts of dangers along the way. But they're here in the United States and worship freely this uh, Easter weekend. Well, a teacher in the U.K. was pressured by students to apologize after she misgendered them. The students, 11-year-olds at an expensive uh, private school in the U.K., managed by the prestigious Girls' Day School Trust, were reportedly displeased after the teacher addressed them as a good afternoon, girls, at the beginning of a class. (laughs) What was this teacher thinking? Well, some of the students told the teacher that not everyone here identifies as female, with others later writing their names and pronouns on the board for the teacher's edification. Well, the teacher who's 11 years old, the teacher who spoke on a condition of anonymity said that the experience was humiliating and embarrassing. Well, some students held a lunch protest and even made placards emblazoned with the slogan Trans Lives Matter. Um, before the end of the week, I in some sort of disciplinary process and the, the head of uh, year was telling me I had to apologize to the girls. Well, after apologizing to her students, the teacher said that her application to remain at the school following the end of her contract period was rejected. Parents in uh, schools across the U.S. have blown the whistle on school districts, teachers and administrators for attempting to encourage their children to transition uh, genders. Uh, Aurora Regina, the mother in California, said she was shocked after her daughter's school district used a parental secrecy policy to hide her 11-year-old daughter's gender transition process. During one of the meetings, my daughter told the counselor she wanted to tell me about her new identity. They ignored her request and did nothing to support her in letting me know what was going on at school, she told the board members at a meeting in April. This policy that they have in place to keep these situations a secret from family is incredibly damaging, the mother added. The Girls' Day School Trust did not respond to a request for comment on the situation in the U.K., Well, billionaire tech mogul Elon Musk revealed he's going to start his own version of an artificial intelligence chatbot coined Truth GPT. During an exclusive interview on Fox News, the Twitter and Tesla CEO sat down with Carlson for an interview to discuss why he'll establish an alternative to chat GPT, an AI app developed by progressive programmers that he um, helped initially fund and the broader concerns he has about how the software can affect freedom of information. I'm going to start something called that I call Truth GPT, or a maximum truth-seeking AI that tries to understand the nature of the universe, Musk says. And I think this might be the, the best path to safety in the sense that an AI cares about the understanding the universe is likely to annihilate humans because we are an interesting part of the universe. Hmm. Washington state passed a bill allowing children to legally be taken away from their parents for not consenting to gender transition procedures on their child. According to Senate bill five, five, nine, nine shelters could contact the department of children, youth and families instead of parents for minors seeking reproductive health services as they're called or gender affirming care. The proposal would pave the way for more of a compelling reason to conceal a child who seeks sex change operations or reproductive health services such as abortion. These measures come as transgender activists, social media personalities and therapists encourage minors to sever ties with their parents if they don't support medical transitions, which are irreversible. Atlantic brand Nike is continuing to engage in uh, politics, sponsoring a queer youth field day. Participants of the Memphis-based event should identify as LGBTQ plus or an ally of the movement and fall into a broad range of ages from 13 to 25, according to a promotion of the event at Out Memphis. 
Swimming champion Riley Gaines responded to Representative Katie Porter over the weekend after Porter called out Gaines during a panel discussion and effectively accused her of just trying to get attention. The segment came after Gaines was attacked last week by radical transgender activists who swarmed her when she visited San Francisco State University to advocate for the rights of female athletes. Katie Porter randomly took a shot at Riley Gaines during uh, Mars uh, show, claiming the point of Riley's activism is getting likes. Riley is speaking up for herself. I think she's speaking up for pretty much every female athlete in the world. Um, Riley Gaines says, I'm not speaking up for myself. I'm done playing sports. I'm not fighting for me. I'm actually supposed to be in dental school this year, but I've changed my life plans because I see what's at stake if someone doesn't fight for the present and next generations. Vice President Kamala Harris on Saturday urged Americans to take action during a critical point in our nation's history. As thousands of protesters demonstrated across the country against new limits on abortion rights making their way through the courts, Saturday's nationwide rallies were sparked by the U.S. Supreme Court's action the day before when the high court intervened to delay rules changes that uh, would have limited the way the abortion drug Mifepristone could be used and dispensed. The limits were were, uh, paused rather while the court reviews the case more thoroughly. Los Angeles Mayor Karen Bass says we march today to keep abortion safe and legal. Of course, it's not safe. And to protect women's rights to choose to abort their children. Honored to have vice president in Los Angeles standing with us for the fight of our lives, your lives, but not those of the children. A high school senior who planned to play college football was celebrated at his sister's 16th birthday party Saturday night in Alabama when gunfire killed him and three other people and wounded several others. Police were gathering evidence on Sunday as a dance studio where the party was held in downtown Dadeville. Um, Phil Dowdell of Dadeville, a high school senior who had committed to Jacksonville State University, was celebrating at his sister's birthday party before he was shot to death. Uh, Dowdell's uh, mother was among those hurt in the shooting as well. The investigation continues. Pete Buttigieg says traffic fatalities in the U.S. are on a level that is comparable to gun violence because of a lot of reasons related to discrimination. Pete Buttigieg told Al Sharpton that minorities are more likely to die in car crashes for a variety of reasons, including the way roads are designed and built, which I found rather insulting. As an African-American, apparently I'm incapable of driving safely on the roads as they are designed and built. That's the not just inference. That's what he's saying. Car accidents are annually responsible for approximately 1.3 million deaths worldwide, according to the World Health Organization. In the United States, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration projects there will be an estimated 42,915 traffic fatalities in 21, a 10.5 percent increase compared to 2020 and the highest annual percentage increase in the fatality analysis reporting systems history. 55% of motor vehicle deaths were the results of single vehicle crashes. More than half of all road traffic deaths occur among vulnerable road users, such as pedestrians, cyclists, motorcyclists, and they are also the single greatest annual cause of death of healthy U.S. citizens traveling abroad. So let me see. African-Americans and other minorities are incapable of driving safely. We can't read. We shouldn't uh, be expected to do math because we're incapable of that. I'm not sure how this is supposed to balance out this notion that we are created equal, that we have the capacity to learn and function in society. And my guess is, you know, we might be good enough for government employment, but a lot of these um, bleeding hearts aren't going to hire you in their tech companies 
because you're not educated well enough and you've been told you're incapable of learning some of the essential skills necessary to function. I find it rather uh, insulting. Montana became the first U.S. state on Friday to pass legislation banning TikTok on all personal devices, sending a bill to the governor prohibiting uh, TikTok from operating within the state lines and barring app stores from offering TikTok for downloads. The legislation marks the furthest step yet by a state government to restrict TikTok over perceived security concerns and comes as some federal lawmakers have called for a national ban of TikTok. Lawmakers in Montana's House voted 54 to 43 to give the final approval to the bill. Senate Bill 419. Should the governor sign it, it would be take effect rather in January. The legislation specifically names TikTok as a target of the bill and outlines potential penalties per violation per day. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Bob Haskins of Haskins Realty Group. If you have questions about uh, what's going on in the market, well, we'll talk to Bob about it. And we'll also have a conversation with Angel Murchison, author of Secret Shame. And we'll tell you more about the Chinese Mayflower Church members, an entire congregation, 63 members, Escape China. It was a three-year quest. They've now found asylum here in the United States and spent their first Easter freely worshiping as they had longed. Well, a mob of teens erupted in violence in Chicago. A massive mob of clashed with police near downtown Chicago's Millennium Park on Saturday night, leaving two teens wounded and at least one bystander beaten. The mob erupted in violence, trashing property, smashing windshields, torching cars while attacking at least one motorist, forcing police to escort tourists to safety. Chicago police said two teens, a 16 and 17 year old, were wounded by a gunman in the crowd. The outlet reported the violence came a day after a 14 year old boy was shot during another outburst of teen violence at 31st Avenue in Beach. Police said most of the charges were for reckless conduct, but a 16-year-old boy was also charged with unlawful use of a weapon and a firearm was recovered. An adult and a juvenile were also charged with possession of stolen vehicle. Cars were also left vandalized near East Washington Street in the Windy City, including a Tesla, which is worth about $120,000. A new report has estimated that over 5,000 Nigerian Christians were killed in 2022. Over 5,000, while over 3,000 were kidnapped. The report put out by the International Society for Civil Liberties and Rule of Law comes as some religious freedom advocates have said that the persecution of Christians in the African country should be seen as genocide. Andrew Society is emotionally dedicating this special investigative report to 1,041 slain and disappeared victims of the jihadist Fulani herdsmen and other jihadists, genocidal attacks carried out across Nigeria in the first 100 days of 2023. Former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is not running for president. The field of candidates for the Republican presidential nomination did not expand on Friday, as former Secretary of State Pompeo announced that he won't enter the race. The news comes as a bit of a surprise, given the over the last year Pompeo had appeared to be positioning himself for a run. However, with polls repeatedly showing his popularity stuck in single digits and that he was um, trailing far behind both Donald Trump and presumed candidate Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, his chances of winning increasingly looked slim to none. In uh, bowing out, the 59-year-old Pompeo explained, this is not the time or that moment for me to seek elected office again. He's uh, choosing not to run. It likely helps uh, other candidates more than Trump. 
One of the wealthiest zip codes in America is seeing California's homeless crisis creeping closer. Beverly Hills, California, where the median house price is $3.5 million, has recently witnessed the encroachment of new homeless encampments in the neighborhood. This is where elected officials and those with influence and power live. Perhaps it'll make a difference. The greater Los Angeles homelessness problem has only worsened over the last several years, especially since the COVID pandemic, with the city now estimating a population of 70,000 vagrants. Of course, with homelessness coming uh, comes higher rates of crime, which is contributing to people fleeing the Golden State. And it's all thanks to policies in the state of California. Elon Musk is shocked at the government's access to Twitter in a soon-to-be-released interview. Uh, Tesla founder Elon Musk, who acquired Twitter last year, expressed his shock over the degree of federal government involvement in the social media giant, the degree to which various government agencies effectively had full access to everything that was going on at Twitter, blew my mind. He stated in a brief clip, I was not aware of that. Indeed, thanks to the Twitter files exposing the level of government entrenchment within big tech, it's no wonder the left fought so hard against Musk's takeover. Also, it served to move the observation and experience of conservatives and independent media from mere anecdotally supporting suspicion that of a verifiable fact. Washington's deep state is involved in censoring American speech on a wide scale. So says Elon Musk. Project 2025 is designed to dismantle the deep state. Former director of the Office Management and Budget, Russ Voigt, in the Trump administration, notes the fundamental problem in Washington today. Although the Constitution makes clear the power of the executive lies with the president and is not vested in the departments or agencies, a president today assumes office to find a sprawling federal bureaucracy that all too often is carrying out its own policy plans and preferences, or worse yet, the policy plans and preferences of a radical, supposedly woke faction of the country. In an effort to confront Washington's entrenched bureaucracy, which clearly bogged down Trump's presidency, a group of conservative leaders has come together with the help of the Heritage Foundation to form a game plan dubbed Project 2025. A plan includes four key elements, streamlining the firing process, limiting union power, improved efficiency and market based pay. It also adopts Trump's Schedule F, which means that career civil servants by themselves should not lead major policy changes and reforms. Challenging and eradicating Washington's deep state will be no easy task, but conservatives can no longer ignore the massive existential threat to American liberty. Kevin McCarthy is set to propose a one-year debt limit extension tied to spending reforms. A teen takeover terrorized Chicago as hundreds of teenagers destroyed property. A judge delayed the start of the Fox News Dominion defamation trial, which is a very serious challenge. A dramatic realignment is swinging working-class districts toward the GOP. An intense rainbow appeared over the Covenant School as families gathered for chapel for the very first time since a shooter took the lives of six people. Buttigieg blames how streets are designed and built for racial disparities and fatalities. And Morgan Freeman tears apart Black History Month as an insult. Well, on this day in history, 1492, a contract signed by Christopher Columbus and a representative of Spain's King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella, giving Columbus a commission to seek a westward ocean passage to Asia. 1521, Martin Luther uh, goes before the Diet of Worms to face charges stemming from his religious writings. 1924, the motion picture studio Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer is founded as a result of a merger of Metro Pictures, Golden Pictures, and the Louis B. Mayer Company.
1937, Daffy Duck makes his debut in the Warner Brothers animated cartoon Porky's Duck Hunt, directed by Tex Avery. 1961, some 1,500 CIA-trained Cuban exiles launch a Bay of Pigs invasion of Cuba in an attempt to topple Fidel Castro, whose forces would crush the incursion by the third day. 1964, Geraldine Jerry Mock becomes the first woman to complete a solo airplane trip around the world as she returns to Columbus, Ohio after 29 and a half days in her Cessna 180. 1969, a jury in Los Angeles convicts Sirhan Sirhan of assassinating Senator Robert F. Kennedy. 1970, on this day in history, Apollo 13 astronauts James Lovell, Fred Hayes, and Jack Swigert, they splashed down safely in the Pacific four days after a ruptured oxygen tank crippled their spacecraft while en route to the moon. 1973, Federal Express, later FedEx, begins operations as 14 planes carrying 186 packages takes off from Memphis International Airport, bound for 25 U.S. cities. 1993, a federal jury in Los Angeles convicts two former police officers of violating the civil rights of beaten motorist Rodney King. Two other officers were acquitted. 2019, Barbara Bush and mother of President George W. Bush and uh, Florida Governor Jeb Bush dies in Houston at the age of 92. Well, tomorrow, the U.S. Supreme Court will hear Gerald Groff versus Louise DeJoy, Postmaster General, United States Postal Service. It's a religious discrimination employment case where a former postal carrier was forced to quit his job at the U.S. Postal Service for not working on Sundays, which he considered to be a day of worship and rest where work is prohibited according to his faith. Liberty Council filed an amicus brief in the case and is asking the high court to overrule its previous 1977 undue burden de minimis standard from Trans World Airlines Inc. versus Hardison and restore Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964's protection against religious discrimination to its intended role in U.S. framework. There's no reason under Title VII to treat discrimination on account of religion different from race or sex discrimination. We'll follow that case. Again, arguments will be heard tomorrow in the U.S. Supreme Court. We've got news and traffic coming up here at the top of the hour. And when we return, a conversation with Bob Haskins. He's a longtime friend here at KPDQ. We'll talk about um, the work of Haskins Realty Group and how they might help you in this unpredictable market. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. You know, every once in a while we get a friend in studio and today is just such a day. In studio with me is the founder of Haskins Realty Group. He's a, it's a family owned business established by Bob Haskins over 40 years ago right here in Portland. It is a family business. And they have been intricately involved in every area of business, he and his family, over the last several decades. Well, he joins us today to talk a bit about realty in our market today. And I know people have a lot of questions about um, inflation, the economy, how that impacts um, their ability to buy or sell. So welcome. Uh, it's good to have you to be a part of the KPDQ family and to have you here in studio. Well, thank you. It's really fun to be here. Well, let me ask you the question that I often hear from people who are thinking about uh, buying or selling. Is this a buyer's or seller's market, or is that the right question to ask? I think it's the wrong question. The right question is, what do you need to do in your life right now? Because interest rates and prices are always variables, and it doesn't depend. They, they're they not tied to what you're doing. 
It's just what you end up getting. So your question you really have to ask is, why are you thinking of buying and why are you thinking of selling? We work predominantly with sellers. People ask me all the time, is this the right time to sell my house or should I wait till next year? I've heard the interest rates are doing this or doing that. Well, what are your needs? If we don't know the why Mm -hmm. in anything, we're making a big mistake. Well, and a lot of us make big mistakes. We try to gauge the, the weather. We put our finger in the wind and determine which way it's blowing to determine what course we ought to take. When, in fact, the basic reason that we're thinking about selling has little to do with those variables. That's right. I mean, if you're getting a job promotion or job loss, those are really pressing situations. If you're having to be transferred to another market, that's a huge question. You've got to do something. Mm-hmm. If you're having family problems or marital problems, you may not have a choice. So these things come into play. You can't wait until the interest rates are just perfect because you never know if they're perfect till after the fact. Yeah. Is there a way to optimize the outcome? Um, again, we can't determine which way the wind will blow, but are there things that a seller can do to maximize the potential in, in selling at a particular time? There really is. I think the hardest thing to do when you're selling your house is to consider that whoever buys it really doesn't care about all your little mementos in the house. They don't need to see the pictures that you took each year for every child. (laughs) I've actually sold them where they had a post in the basement and marked every year who was at this height. Well, you want to paint that over. Why? Because otherwise people come into your house and they feel like an intruder. The best things you you can do is take your house and depersonalize it. That's what staging does. You take the family pictures down. You take all the cute little things that mean nothing to anybody else out of the way. You're going to move anyway, so you might as well pack them now. Declutter the house, please. You make three stacks, right? One to give away, one to throw away, and one to keep. And you start boxing things up because you're going to move. If it's done right, you're going to move. And you do this ahead of time because then when you walk through the house, a buyer will look at it and go, this is really nice. They don't feel like they're intruding on your home. And so they feel more comfortable and they can start picturing themselves in your home. I know when we sold our last home, the realtor told me who represented the buyer said, boy, your home was beautifully staged. I thought, what? We took all the pictures down, the family pictures down, the wedding pictures, all that stuff, and got it out of there and got the junk out. Well, not junk, but the... <laughs> of course, you didn't have any junk. No, we didn't have any junk, but we took the little miscellaneous stuff <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, the personal We things. took like eight trips to a Goodwill, got this stuff out of the house, and they came in and they relaxed. They liked it. They could see themselves in the house. They can't see you. They can't see themselves in your house if you're still living in it. Yeah. Well, that's such a good point. Now, how can Haskins Realty Group help a listener who's, okay, I'm going to sell my house. What do you all bring to the table that can help them do that well? Well, it's sort of like going to see a doctor. You want a doctor to tell you the truth and tell you what really is going to happen. And what we do, we never fudge the truth of anybody. This way I don't have to remember what I told you. (laughs) Just tell you the truth and give you advice and... You follow that advice, the big thing that you're going to get is someone who actually cares about what happens to you, 
And there's a kind of the bottom line, because nobody thinks about it until after their house is sold and they're at the title company and they go through something and seeing their closing settlement sheet. And they just sold their $600,000 house. And they say, what's it, $42,000? They look at each other. Did you know we're paying the realtor $42,000 to sell your our house? Well, 7%. Doesn't everybody do that? No. Hmm. If we do the same thing, get the same results for you in the same amount of time and charge you 3%, can you do the math on that? That's 18000 instead of 42000 Well, that's like $24,000 difference. What could you do with $24,000? Oh, my. First of all, I have to step out of the studio, get a piece of paper, and make the laundry list that I wouldn't have to think twice about. That's right. Let me just read a few things that are true about Haskins. Your home sellers um, often save 20 to 50% on real estate fees. You've just given us an example of that. You often receive 105% over the, uh, or your clients, 105% over their listed price. You sell over five times as many homes as the average real estate agent, and your listed homes sell just as fast. Now, these are things that, regardless of the interest rate, what the economy is doing will matter when you're selling your house. I will correct you on one thing. Please. Those statistics came out back when the market was sizzling, when people were paying whatever to get into a house. They're not necessarily paying over the asking price anymore. Okay. People are being much more careful, especially now the interest rates have gone up two and a half times. So they're being much more careful. When the interest rates are down around two to three percent, then, and there weren't that many, and the buyers were flooding the marketplace. People paid whatever. Sometimes they bought them without going into the home. But things are changing now. Things are really changing. About a third of the buyers, well, let's put it this way: a third of the sellers are sitting this one out. Hmm. There's that much less inventory. So is the concern that they can do better at some point in the future? There's a misunderstanding about the number of buyers. What What is causing that to happen? I think uncertainty in life. Yeah. When you have uncertainty internationally, nationally, I mean, it's happened during COVID. It's happened in every war. Desert Storm was a classic one. Every time there's unrest in the world, people kind of hunker down. And they're doing that right now. And then you have interest rates going up, so people don't really know what to think. So many people are just waiting. So say, is this a good time to sell our house? My answer to that is, why are you thinking you want to sell your house? If you're just trying to wait until the, the stars align and you get this perfect price for your home, nobody knows that till afterwards. Mm-hmm. I just don't know the future. How important is it to work with a qualified realtor? I mentioned earlier this is a family-owned business. You and your wife, Jean, started out. You have um, another generation that's also come alongside to, to do the work. Um, if, pe- if people are thinking about, I want to sell my house, how can they connect with you all and how can you help them do that? Well, if they call the 503-255-5360, they're going to talk to me directly. And if they talk to me directly... I will answer all of their questions for them. And I will be able to guide them as to the next step that they need to take. I think that's such an important element of understanding what it is I'm about to do, what the course is, and 
uh, to give people a sense of of relief, really, that, um, you know, the market, you know, what's happening. You can help them to better understand the role that they'll play in this season where they need to sell a home. And I'm never going to tell them something that's not true. When I tell them something, they can bank on it. There you have it from Bob Haskins himself. I want to encourage our listeners, if you are thinking about selling your home, um, Haskins Realty Group has been a friend of KPDQ for a number of years, and uh, it's just been a wonderful partnership. And I want to encourage our folks, if you're thinking about it, if you have a circumstance that would suggest, yeah, I need to sell the house. I'm a little skittish about it. I don't know what's uh, happening in the future. Give Bob Haskins a call and he'll walk you through it. He'll talk you through it. Again, that telephone number is 503-255-5360. 503-255-5360. And they'll, uh, they'll get you on the right, right path. Again, it's such a delight to have you partner with KPDQ and our stations here. And it's been a delight to have you with us today. Well, thank you for having us. Thank you. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, a conversation with Angel Murchison, author of Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. My next guest, Angel Murchison, is the author of Secret Shame. She describes how easy it was to gain access to have an abortion as a 15-year-old and describes her post-abortion syndrome, or PTSD, a form of it, that impacts between 40 to 60 percent of women who choose abortion. Well, the symptoms include emotional numbness, depression, guilt, regret, anxiety, and much more. The subtitle of her book, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion, is something they don't tell you at Planned Parenthood, she says. Well, we're going to talk about her, go- her book, Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. Angel is the founder of Healing Waters Women's Ministry, the author of Good Morning, Beautiful People, Angel Prayer of the Day, Angel's Prayer of the Day, and a radio talk show host on Destiny Moments. She speaks out about the impact of post-abortion stress and offers help and hope to women who have had an abortion like she did. She lives in Maine and has three adult daughters. She joins us today to talk about her book. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me on your show. It's so important, I think, for those who are called to share their stories to do so for the sake of those who have never shared their story. And I I imagine there are many listening today who have had an abortion and perhaps have never told anyone or bear the guilt of a decision made years ago, believing that that weight will always have to be carried. Your, uh, Your first words to those who are carrying that weight that Jesus um, has come to set you free and that by his grace and his mercy that he paid the price um, for that pain and that brokenness and he can make you whole again. You know, I wrote the book, um, Georgine, from a heart of love, the mm-hmm. father's love, and he wants, he wants uh, his women to be made whole and I know women suffer in silence um, that have had an abortion. I minister to many women across this globe that have um, have chosen abortion or had a forced abortion or maybe the appointment was made for them. And um, God has taken the sting out. And although there is consequences and, and you won't see the child until you're in heaven, 
um, but God does, he does bring healing to that hurting soul and he will, and he can deliver you from the emotional pain of an abortion. Amen. Now you open up the book, Secret Shame, uh, writing about your childhood. Tell us a bit about how, what your childhood was like and how that impacted choices you would make in your future. Well, I was the 14th birth to my parents, and I would be like probably the least one that would be likely to succeed. Um, My dad struggled with alcoholism, and my mom died when I was eight years of age. And so I was left with lots of holes in my heart. But, you know, the Bible tells us that uh, he has a plan for every life, and he had a plan for my life before the foundations of the earth, his word told me. And, you know, I grew up in poverty, and I know um, what it's like to go without lots of things. Um, but God, um, somehow, I just knew that there was, there, was, there was something different, that there was something that God was going to do with me, even in my teenage years, even when I was living a destructive lifestyle, and I started drinking alcohol at an early age, looking for love, and I just, um, I know that the enemy also has a plan for every life, but God's, God's plan overcame, and I'm so thankful today for His mercy and His grace, and that's what I speak about um, to women that, that are suffering in silence. Um, when you received the Father's love, that was the very first writing um, that I had ever penned. I was sitting at my desk at a lunch hour, and um, I didn't really know the love of my father. My my dad was almost 50 when I was born, and to me, that was quite old. <laughs> but today, <laughs> it's like, that's not old at all, but... Um, <laughs> But, oh, Father, your love for me is so hard to comprehend. You died for me when I was yet a sinner. Love, you had no boundaries. You took my sin and you made me whole again. Such love, the love of my Father. When I chose the path of the evil one, you loved me and you led me to your path again. Such love, the love of my Father. When I cried because of all the pain, you healed the pain and removed my shame. Oh, such love. Where others wounded me, you bound up my wounds and filled me with joy. Such love, the love of my Father. When I needed guidance, you left me your word in your Holy Spirit. Such love, the love of my Father. Whatever the future holds for me is in your hands, for your love for me has made me whole. My Father, you say in your word that the footsteps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord, and this is my future because of the love of my Father. And, you know, that was profound, Regine, mm-hmm. when I wrote that that day, because I began to experience him as a good father. Amen. Well, let me ask you, you're 15 years old. Um, you have an unintended pregnancy. What went through your mind? Were you motivated by fear? Were you pressured? How did your abortion come about? Well, I can honestly say that I didn't even know the word abortion at that time. Mm-hmm. Um I had told a family member, and and an appointment was made for me in a different town, and um, I was told it wasn't really a baby, that it was just a blob of tissue, and I remember going to the appointment, 
I don't remember them ever explaining anything different. Um, and just had a procedure, and they said it was a quick procedure. It was quick, but it changed my life forever. And I buried that for many, many years. And it was at a, it was on a Friday evening at a church service I was at, and I, this couple from Canada were here, and they were singing about a little soul in heaven. And all of a sudden, I began to feel this overwhelming pain. Um, just come right up out of my inner being, right from my soul. <clears throat> and I had a very hard time to keep it together until I got home that night. I mean, tears just kept coming down my face. And um, But as I, I got home and I um, got on my knees beside my bed, it was the first time that I'd ever actually began to deal with that, the whole issue. It was just buried um, deep within but God says, whatever is done in the dark is brought to the light. And I'm so thankful that he brought it to the light because then I could deal with that. And I remember um, going to um, a, a local Christian bookstore and I purchased a book about the aftermath of abortion. And I prayed every prayer. I I just I just wanted to be free. But God had told me, he said, I want you to call this individual and tell them that you've had an abortion. And I did that. I, I didn't want to at first, but I know about being obedient. So I called this other woman and I said, um, you know, I, I need to tell you something. I feel like God has led me to, to share this with you. And she shared that she had had an abortion too. And I've heard and one out of three, one out of four women today have had an abortion. And um, so we have a lot of women that need healing. And I have come to know Christ, the healer. And he tells us in his word in John eight thirty six, whom the son sets free is free indeed. Amen. And when, that he has been true to do. When you connected with someone who had had the same experience that God had specifically directed you to, did you begin your healing journey there? Or was there just the first step in admitting to someone what had happened? What was the next step? We'll, we'll get into that when we come back from our break. But I do need to take a quick break. Again, we're talking this afternoon with my guest. Um, Her name is Angel Murchison and her book, Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Continuing my conversation with Angel Murchison, author of Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. Just before the break, you uh, told us about the service you had attended that really opened your eyes to what had happened. You were directed to speak with someone you didn't know had had a similar experience, had had an abortion. When the two of you connected, what happened next? And was it just a first step? Did the two of you go on this journey together? What happened? Well, it was someone that I I did know, um, but I didn't know anything about her past. But I I did uh, speak to her about it and Unfortunately, we didn't um, heal together, but I did go to the local pregnancy care center and I did a Bible study there with another individual and she had had several abortions and we did a a study together and I went deeper 
into my healing. And then, you know, it, it, um, the very first step when I shared that with her originally, to be honest with you, I felt like I lost 50 pounds. I felt like mm-hmm. my life had just changed. <clears throat> it was, you know, admitting that I had an abortion that I, that I hurt from it. And uh, in the book of Secret Shame that I penned, there's a, a three-day Bible study in attached on the back and it's very um, light but it's very profound and I went through the process I named my child Um, I knew I sensed that the Lord had told me that it was a boy and so I named him Jeremiah Jeremiah is my favorite book in the Bible and we have a day of remembrance of my child and um, he gave me, uh, I asked the Lord to lead me to something. Um, some people plant a tree, but I knew I wasn't going to be living in that home that I was in. And um, so I wanted something that I could take with me. And I'll never forget the day that he led me to this little precious moment, um, boy, standing behind a microphone. And you know, Georgine, when you see something or God shows you something or something is highlighted to you, you just, you know, your heart skips a beat or something, you know, you just know. And so everywhere I go, I have this little, um, little boy, it's a precious moment boy that stands behind a microphone. And so although um, he doesn't have a voice, I'm his voice today. And um, I like to tell people um, about my story so that, you know, they could get all the facts and know that there's there's pain, there's brokenness that comes to your life after you have an abortion. Um, I didn't think I would share my story with the world, mm-hmm. but um, as God brought healing to me, I wanted other people to be free too. And I would be sitting on an airplane, I was coming back from a writer's conference, um, and, you know, the lady beside me just got chit-chatting with me and you know she'd say I don't know why I would ever tell you this but I had an abortion um, at the writers conference itself um, a, a young lady had said to one of the other ladies at the conference um, tell that woman to write a book no mommy don't do it um, and so I asked if I could speak with her and I did and She had had, I believe, three abortions, and her friend had had 12. And so I began to see that God wanted to use this in my life. And um, people feel comfortable to share that secret. In order to minister to others. Let me ask you, before you had that, uh, that epiphany, the moment in which you were broken, considering that you had had an abortion that led to the first step of disclosing that to someone, were there um, post-traumatic stress um, symptoms that you experienced that you didn't necessarily connect to the abortion, but you knew that there was something that made life difficult? You yes. mentioned uh, a moment ago that you had struggled with alcohol. What? How did this, uh, this regret um, manifest itself in your life? Well, I did. Um, I started drinking alcohol prior to the abortion, to be honest with you, um, back in junior high school. And um, but after um, 
the abortion. It just seemed like it was more pain that was just buried deep. And, um, you know, we used to party a lot on the weekends. And, um, you know, I I would feel very sad, like on Mother's Day. Um, I thought it was because of the loss of my own mom. But then I would feel that sadness again, you know, a certain time of year. And it would, I can remember like when it would rain really hard, I'd feel very sad. And I was like, where is this coming from? And, um, but the day that I went for the abortion, I remember that it was raining. It was a, it was a rainy day. And, you know, I, um, I was just a kid, 15 yeah. years old. And, um, and today, um, I know that as I've ministered to other women that have had abortions, um, most of it comes from fear. They don't know how they would ever um, provide for the child. Maybe the father is no longer in the picture. Um, but, you know, I can say that God has a plan for every single life. And when I look back at my own life, you know, being the 14th birth to a uh, a family, uh, that would, it would be a tough life, but yet God had a plan And I have two sisters, one that was born with a rare bone disease and one that was born, um, she was um, intellectually delayed. She was, um, she couldn't speak. And we, her name was Ethel and she's gone on to heaven now, but we used to call her Hookie. And um, she used to give us a little... Talk with her fist now and then because she'd be angry or whatever. And and I remember talking with God one day about that. Um, you know, I said God's life was really tough with her, and um, yet we loved her and we wanted the best for her. And one Christmas, I had gotten a radio. It was a um, a little white round radio from Radio Shack, and she wanted that. And it's the only gift I remember getting that wasn't a donated gift. And um, I gave it to her. And as I was talking to God about that, one day he said, I just felt like he said, didn't I give that back to you? You're on the radio all over the world. And, you know, in Isaiah 61, he tells us that he rebuilds the ancient ruins of our lives, that um, you know, he, he brings beauty from the ashes. And so... No matter what you've lost today, God is able, he's willing, he loves you, and he's come to make you whole. So I like to, Georgine, bring women to the healing waters of Jesus Christ. Um, he's the greatest healer. He's the greatest lover of man's soul. And he um, loves to journey with his people. We're just about out of time, but I want to ask you for... Uh, women who read the book, Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion, what what can they expect? Second uh, class citizenship in the kingdom of God, where you continue to bear the weight of a decision that was made that ended the life of a child? Or is there complete freedom and joy that can be experienced because God forgives every sin, regardless of what it is and uh, and who has committed it? What might a woman expect when she is liberated from that burden? She can expect to walk in that freedom. 
that those chains that, that has kept her bound, the, the lies that she would um, never be free, that she could never be forgiven. You know, you have to believe what God says about you. Yes. And he said, I have come to set the captive free. And today um, I would declare and decree over every woman that would read this book and that would be um, willing to believe the word of the Lord over their life, that they can and they will be set free. Once again, the title of the book, Secret Shame, Overcoming Pain and Brokenness After an Abortion. Um, Angel Murchison, thank you so much for the book, for sharing your story, and for encouraging women um, to resolve the issue before God and experience the freedom that you write about, uh, that you speak about, and... um, just being willing to to share your story. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Oh, by the way, where can our listeners uh, find your book? Um, they can find it at most um, bookstores, um, Amazon, Books a Million, Barnes and Noble. Um, so it won't be I difficult. I have a personal website as well. It's www.goodmorningbeautifulpeople.net. All right. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you. News and traffic up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Now, I mentioned last week that there was a group of 63 Chinese Christians. They were all from the same church. It was called the Mayflower Church. Well, these members have now resettled right here in the United States. It took them three years and quite a quest to seek asylum, which they have now been granted. They fled persecution in China. They arrived here in the United States on Friday, intending to resettle permanently after being granted humanitarian parole status amid a pretty harrowing three-quest for asylum. Well, in November of 2019, the Christians comprising 32 kids, Pastor Pan Yonggang's Shenzhen Holy Reformed House Church, dubbed Mayflower Church, fled to Jeju Island in South Korea after encountering threats and interrogations from Chinese police. These are Christians fleeing persecution. Well, initially, they sought refuge in South Korea. They later traveled to Bangkok, Thailand, hoping to obtain refugee status uh, from the United Nations. However, they were detained by Thai immigration authorities. Well, through close coordination with the U.S. Department of State, Department of Homeland Security, various U.N. agencies and the Thai government, officials from the United States successfully negotiated their release. The U.S.-based group China Aid that advocates for civil freedoms and human rights in China said in a statement they made to the Christian Post. Well, Freedom Seekers International is a Texas-based group that rescues, resettles, and sustains those who are persecuted for their faith with aid um, in resettlement in the uh, the United States and of the congregation. They hosted a welcome event at Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport on Friday night, which was an event that was... um, Bordering on the surreal, this is a successful example of nonpartisan international cooperation. The CEO of China Aid, Chad Bullard, said, We are thankful to all parties, including International Religious Freedom Office, led by Ambassador Rashad Hussein, the U.S. Embassy in, uh, Ambas- Embassy rather, in Bangkok, USCIRF, and a number of congressional offices, including Chairman Mike McCall and Chairman Chris Smith. Representative Smith out of New Jersey, chairman of the Congressional Executive Commission on China and chairman of the House Foreign Affairs uh, Global Human Rights Committee, rather subcommittee, 
has long been at the forefront of voicing concern about China's human rights violations in the federal legislature. He's advocated for the churchgoers in the diplomatic limbo as they face the possibility of refoulement, as they call it, to China. Uh, It is a good Friday indeed and a perfect Easter gift to see these persecuted Christian Chinese, uh, these Christians, um, arrive and be allowed to practice their faith freely in the United States, which I just want to pause for a moment to consider what a tremendous gift and blessing it, uh, it is that we can exercise our faith freely. We can fellowship as the church, the body of Christ, freely. Now, whether or not that will always be the case, I do not know, but I never want to take that for granted. Now, we will always worship. That's not a question. But the fact that we have the freedom to do it in the way that we choose is really quite a marvel in the earth. He went on to say, this is Smith in his statement, had they been forcefully repatriated to China, they would have been jailed and severely persecuted. Well, Johnny Moore, who's an evangelical public relations executive who served as a commissioner on the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom, said the churchgoers resettlement makes him so proud to be an American. In the U.S., we provide refugee uh, status for the persecuted. No country in human history has given refuge to so many persecuted people of faith. Welcome to our new home, to your new home, Mayflower family, just in time for Easter. You're safe here. Well, on the 30th of March, authorities in Thailand detained the church members, separating families, placing them in two facilities, including the notorious immigration detention center in Bangkok for um, overstaying their visas. Well, the members uh, hiding in one of the towns there had to stay the night in the um, uh, police station, sleeping on tables and chairs pushed together, according to China Aid. While they were in detention, the members faced imminent danger of international kidnapping and repatriation, which could have led to retaliation, abuse, and imprisonment by the Chinese Communist Party. Southern Baptist congregations and other churches in East Texas had pledged to sponsor the resettlement of these exiled Christians. And yes, that is uh, something churches can do here for believers there. This is the first known instance of a Chinese church fleeing persecution in mass. The church's name, Mayflower, comes from the English ship that carried passengers, some of whom were Protestant separatists seeking religious freedom from the Church of England. They traveled to the British colonies in the 17th century. Well, Pastor Pan earlier said the decision to leave China was influenced by a lunch he had with another pastor from Early Rain Covenant Church in 2018. Pastor Wang, who's now serving a nine-year prison sentence, urged Pan to prepare himself to go to prison as well. Well, after Pastor Wang's arrest, police started monitoring Pan and making in-person visits on a regular basis to intimidate him and other church members. Well, eventually, Pastor Pan and his church members had to decide whether to leave China or stay. And despite having good jobs in China, they were concerned about raising their children in a godly manner amid communist pressure and indoctrination. Now, these are parents who are concerned about what the state is imposing on their children and went so far as to risk their safety to get them out of that situation and into one in which there would be the freedom for their children to be taught according to their principles. Now, whether or not the United States is or will remain that across the uh, fruited plain remains uh, an unanswered question. But nonetheless, after a year of discussion, they unanimously agreed to leave China. Now, this is no small thing. They knew that each Sunday could be their last together. Well, the U.S. State Department has long listed China as a country of particular concern for tolerating or engaging in religious freedom violations. Open Doors USA, which uh, monitors the persecution of Christians in over 60 countries, estimated that China has more than 97 million Christians 
Christians, many of whom worship in unregistered or illegal underground churches. As I've mentioned here before, I've attended those services, and it is something to behold. It will challenge you in ways that you never thought possible. Well, the five state-sanctioned religious groups in China are the Buddhist Association of China, the Chinese Taoist Association, the Islamic Association of China, the Protestant Three Self-Patriotic Movement, and the Chinese Patriotic Catholic Association. Well, even the organizations affiliated with the five authorized religions can be subject to surveillance and monitoring, and what's said and done is dictated by the uh, Chinese Communist government. Well, in 2018, the Communist regime released a document titled China's Policies and Practices on Protecting Freedom of Religious Belief. It declared that Chinese faith communities should adhere to the direction of localizing the religion, practice the core values of socialism, develop and expand the fine Chinese tradition, and actively explore the religious thought which accords with China's national circumstances. In other words, you don't have the freedom to um, practice your faith according to scripture, but it needs to be adjusted to fit the norms of the Chinese Communist Party and the culture at large. And while that um, is very much a dictate from the Chinese Communist government, it doesn't sound all that different from the direction that many uh, areas in this country today are urging parents to move uh, and going so far as to strip them of their parental authority in raising their children according to to their convictions. Well, I want to thank uh, Jim's, uh, James Blend for producing, David King for engineering. We're out of time, so I want to thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.